Grace Estiman is going to be reading uh, scripture this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn uh, to Acts chapter 10. If you need a Bible and you want one, our ushers would, would be happy to, to get you one. Just wave or head to the back and, and uh, you can grab one. But Grace, come and, and read uh, scripture for us. Good morning, everyone. I will be reading from the book of Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 36 and then 44 to 48. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a remembrance before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and one of his soldiers, who was a devout man. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and sent to the, said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, 
You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon, the tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. This is the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How, anointed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Skipping to verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. May God bless the reading of his word. Why don't, uh, am I I'm on? I'm good? Why don't we pray together, shall we? Father, just uh, it's so good to uh, be in this series that we've been in Acts looking at these characters, uh, remarkable really, and the kind of experiences they had, uh, like Peter and, and, and Paul and uh, Stephen and Philip and, and others, Lord. We just go, they're, they're living inspirations to us of, of how you can work in our world. And Lord, as we talked about last week, you long to rock our world, Lord, to, to rock us and uh, change our trajectory from, from darkness into light. And uh, would you continue to do that work in us, even in this time, in this, uh, this morning, that our eyes and our ears might be open to your truth and your reality, we pray. Oh, God, speak to us now, we ask. And bless us with your presence, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Great story, wasn't that? We, nice on occasion to read a longer passage of scripture. And I hope you, uh, you have the Bibles, right? Anybody who has a phone has a Bible and you can read these for yourselves. But I want to begin the message this morning by showing you a clip from the film, We Are Marshall. I don't know if you've seen it. It's based on a true story. 
and it's, the, it's about the rebuilding of a football team, uh, the, the Marshall University College team, after most of the team and most of the coaches were killed tragically in a plane crash. And so you can imagine how difficult that would be. The, the scene I'm going to show you is of the coach, played by Matthew McConaughey, challenging the president of the college to more aggressively lobby with the NCAA uh, ruling, football ruling body in order to ask for an exception to their recruiting rules. And, and so it's possible for them to actually get the players they need to rebuild the team. Just a heads up, there's a strong word or two in this clip. Let's, let's watch. 12, West Virginia. Red, we gotta, we gotta broaden our recruiting base or something. We gotta, we gotta get creative about, about who we're going after, where we're going after them, and, and how we're going after them. Isn't that right, Doc? Oh. Oh. Morning, Red. Well, how are we doing? West Virginia looks to be very competitive next year. Yeah, very. Mm -hmm. how, how about you? Well, Jack, um, I haven't heard anything positive back yet. And I think I've done everything I can. Maybe we need more time. I, I don't know. Time's the only thing we don't have. Don, I mean... Hell, it, 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 it's already April. Wow. Time is not our friend. Let me ask you a question, Don. Are you married? Yes, I am. 25 years in May. 25 years. I am willing to bet that you didn't propose over the phone. N no, I didn't. Okay, I and I know damn well that she didn't say yes in a letter. Huh? Jack? Doc? No, Jack? Yes? I know. Doc? You can do it. You're an outlaw, pioneer, gunslinger. This is a whole new game, Doc. <laughs> you. You. There's a first time for everything, Don. And if we're going to survive, this has got to be one of those first times. And you're the only man that can do it. you like this, but my name is Don Detman. I'm president of Marshall University. May I speak with you for a moment, please? What are you doing in Kansas City, Don? My town and my school, we're hurting. We want to play football, and we cannot do it without your help. Please. Who's going to change our diaper?
My friend right there. There he is. Damn. Doc, we're going to get us a football team. And uh, I, I love especially that whole interaction where the coach is in the face of that college president saying, saying to him, you got to step out of your comfort zone, right? He says, there's a first time for everything, and he says, this is one of those times. Last week, uh, we were talking about how God, when God rocks your world, and, and I talked about how sometimes God rocks someone's world initially, taking them from, from darkness into his light. And, and we looked at the conversion of Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, probably one of the most dramatic conversion stories in all of Scripture. And many of you here, I, I would say, have made commitments to Jesus. Uh, and, and some of you, you might be in the place where you're exploring the, the whole idea of faith. But, but for those of you who've had a conversion experience of your own, your, what we might call your salvation story, it might have been dramatic. In your mind, it might not have been all that interesting. But, but no matter what, it, it, for a person who crosses that line of faith, it's a massive deal. And here's the thing, it's just the beginning. It's actually not meant to be the end of your journey. <laughs> There'll be other first things along the way. There'll be other moments where God will rock your world again, where like that coach, God might whisper into your ear, it's time for another first thing. It seems as I read uh, scripture, there ought to be some world rocking experiences that happen between our initial conversion and when we get to heaven. (laughs) You can call them whatever you want. There are a lot of uh, legitimate phrases that we could use to describe these things. I'm going to call them second conversions or, or encounters with God. And maybe there ought to be several that, that occur in our lives along our way to heaven. Just to be clear that these, about these second conversion experiences, I'm not talking about times where you go somewhere, you go to a place and you kind of get blessed. Uh, I, I'm not talking about you seeing a gorgeous sunset, and you're like, wow, God, cool. I mean, I can see Mount Baker today. It's gorgeous. God, you're good. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to, that kind of thing, by the way, I think should be happening kind of with some regularity in our lives. But I'm talking about having an experience with God or, or God touching your life in such a way that you grow by kind of a quantum amount. I mean, or you, or you get straightened out on something or your vision gets expanded, or your pride gets, gets hammered, gets, gets dashed, and, and you serve in some whole new way. It feels like a conversion, a transformation of, of some area of your life. Might be, might be to do with servanthood, or to do with money, or, or whatever. I, I think the second conversion that happened in the apostle Peter's life is instructive for us as we try to kind of wrap our minds around this idea. Everybody probably knows something about Peter. He was, uh, he was the most colorful, let's call him that, of the apostles. Uh, you know, he was, he was loud, he was passionate, he was energetic, he was brash. He seemed to be really gifted of, of all the disciples at putting his own foot inside his own mouth. He reminds me of someone. <laughs> me, I think. What you might not know about Peter is just how how rigid and strict this guy was when it came to Jewish ceremonial laws. I mean, holy day laws and, and dietary laws and, and hospitality laws and, and ceremonial cleanliness laws. With, with respect to keeping all of these Jewish customs, 
uh, Peter was like a, a straight-flying, you know, rule-keeping boy scout. So one day, again, God gets into a world-rocking mood, and he sends Peter to a seaside community called Yaffa to visit someone called Simon the Tanner. By the way, uh, seven years ago, during, Angel, during my first sabbatical, uh, Angel and I visited Israel. We got to spend a few weeks there, and we, we started our time in Tel Aviv, and right adjacent to Tel Aviv is the city of Joppa, or also called Yaffa. And uh, Yaffa, we, we actually walked right all, all the way from Tel Aviv, we walked through the entire city and, and, and spent a memorable day in Yaffa, uh, memorable largely because of the food. They have amazing food in Yaffa. I, I, don't, I don't know if any of you have ever had this, but we experienced the delicacy called stuffed sheep's neck. Amazing. So good. Anybody had stuffed sheep's sheep? Come on. Anybody? Any of my Middle Eastern friends? No? No one at all? No one at all? It was like one of my favorite meals ever. And, and uh, so that was great. And I kind of forgot what I was going to talk about about Yaffa, but... Because I'm remembering the flavor. But um, on that particular... What's, what's that? What's in it? Uh, sheep's neck. I don't know. <laughs> Like rice and all these wonderful things. I mean, if I had the recipe, I'd, you know, I'd pass it along, but I have no idea what was in it. Seven years ago, I don't remember what I ate yesterday. Um, I do remember that meal. But, but actually, the most memorable part about that day was wandering through Yaffa was, was we actually were intentionally looking f- to find where they think Simon the Tanner's house was. And we find, you can see in, in the picture, that's Yaffa, that's the, the community there. And this is what they think is Simon the Tanner's house or, or on that piece of land. And uh, we sat in the foreground on the steps there for a couple hours just reflecting on the kind of world-changing event that happened one day when Peter was taking a nap one afternoon and how God gave him a vision that rocked his world and I would say rocked our world. And, and I'm grateful. I, was, I remember thinking how I'm so glad that God reveals himself. God speaks. And and he spoke that day to Peter. He plants a vision in Peter's mind. We heard about it. The picture Peter had is of of this. He he says the heavens open and and he sees this vast array of animals, uh, sea creatures and birds and and reptiles and cattle. They're they're coming down on what looked like a sheet from heaven. And, and to him, it, they're, they're, uh, the idea here is that all these animals are like international food. They're like exotic delicacies that could be prepared from those animals, you know, I mean, food, food that Peter never would have tasted because they weren't kosher. You know, they, they wouldn't have passed the Jewish dietary laws. They're like forbidden foods, you might say. It's like someone from Saskatchewan being introduced to sushi for the very first time. It's like, uh-uh, no way, that, that ain't right. I think that's my, my hunch anyway. That was my f- first exposure to sushi, my first response. Now I love it. So Peter has this vision, and then a, a voice comes as Peter sees all of these animals being lowered from heaven, and the voice in Peter's vision says these words, get up, kill, and eat. In other words, Peter, you can eat anything that you see in this picture. Peter, have at it. It's yours to eat. So, so, so Peter... <laughs> responds very, very 
Jewish rule-keeping response here. He says, no, I'd never do such a thing. I've never eaten anything impure, unclean in my life. To which the voice responds with a word of correction, do not call anything impure that God has made. And Peter's like, no, but I've never, I, I've never done that. And the voice kind of re, re, repeats it three different times. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. It's like he's rapid-firing truth into Peter's mind. Now, immediately after this vision thing, Peter looks, and there's three guys in front of his house, and they're asking Peter to go meet their boss, who is a non-Jew, a, a military guy, ceremonially unclean, a Gentile, someone that, that rule-keeping Peter uh, should have nothing to do with. Jewish law was, was really clear on this. And, I, and I, I, can, I can imagine that Peter is just about reflexively, automatically about to say, I, I, I'm not going to eat unclean food and I'm not going to meet unclean people. But then again, he hears God's whisper say to him, you go, Peter, you go with these guys where they're taking you. I'm in this. And today I'm going to rock your world. And Peter goes with these guys quite a long way as the spirit prompted him to go. Now, now, if you were here last week, you'll remember that, that I talked about how important it is when God shows up in your, on your road or in your car or in your work or, or in your, your life, when God starts rocking your world, how key it is to meticulously follow whatever the instructions he gives you, to respond with something along the lines of the prayer, not my will but yours be done, or, or I'm your servant do with me what you will. Something along those lines in, in terms of whatever little instructions comes our way. We saw Paul do this, and now we see Peter. He's, he's doing the same. So he's walking with these, these servants, and, and they're, along the way, it's about a, a day's walk, a full day's walk from Jaffa to, to Caesarea. And, and as he's going along this way to this Gentile's house, he's thinking about the words that he heard in this vision, do not call anything impure what God has made clean. And he's wondering, what does this mean? And then they arrive at the, the home of Cornelius, this guy who'd sent the men to get Peter. And this, this Gentile, uh, unclean by Jewish standards, this Roman military commander says to Peter, he says, I had a vision a couple of days ago. <laughs> I, I, I saw this as clear as day. An angel appeared and told me to send for you a guy named Peter. In fact, gave me very specific instructions where you would be at Simon the Tanner's house. Verse 33 tells us what he said. He says, so I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. As in, like, no pressure, Peter, but it better be good. <laughs> Pictures here of a very captive audience. And isn't, isn't it an amazing story so far? Just, I just love it. And, and, and you've got this guy, this, this Gentile, who actually doesn't know anything about Jesus, he, he, but he's a God-fearer. That's, that's the term they used to describe him in that passage. By the way, you probably have a Cornelius or two in your life. You, know, you, you probably have somebody in your life who, who they may not have figured out where Jesus fits in the whole deal. But in some way, shape, or form, they know there's a God in the heavens. Or they've, come to, they've got a sense that there must be more. <laughs> They've got a sense that, that there's a right and a wrong. Uh, maybe even like Cornelius, they're, they're living generously because they feel like that's the right thing to do. 
And I, and I wonder if you have that kind of person in your life. I think of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis uh, was a, a fellow that, that before he became a Christian, he became a deist. He went from atheist to deist, which deist means you believe in a God. But that took him on a journey to the place where he actually began to believe in Jesus and met Jesus and gave his life to him. Yeah. So, where was I? Totally lost. Again. Anyway, I'm saying that's a very good thing. Pay attention to the Cornelius in your life. Love on them. Pray for them. All that kind of jazz. Well, God gives Cornelius this dream. It's very detailed and in order to kind of open up the way for the good news of Jesus to get to him. This is, uh, this is, by the way, pretty New Testament, or it seems like it, right? Where God speaks in such a profound, clear way. Well, no. Not, as we mentioned last week, that that it seems like we're living in a day where, where this is happening in, in, in parts of the world where you cannot share or speak about Jesus openly. God's giving people dreams and visions and, and, and people are discovering these kind of things. And, and, and as I've been thinking about this, you know, the, these individuals who will wake up and there is Jesus standing at the end of their bed and they hear the words, I am Jesus. And I'm thinking, I wanna be praying that for the people I know. Because I know people who have kind of gotten inoculated to my voice, or they're not able to hear me. Somehow the, the walls are up. They, they may be, uh, you know, on the scale, or they're, they're not warm to Christianity. They're actually more hostile to Christianity. Why wouldn't we be praying this kind of prayer, that God would use whatever means necessary to get their attention, whether it be dreams or visions or all that jazz? Well, something along this line happens to Cornelius. And now back to Peter here. Peter's standing there just kind of shaking his head. And I, I can imagine he's having a bit of a mild panic attack. What's, like, what is God doing? What is, what is God up to? This is so out of box for him. Think about it. Peter is standing at the doorway of this, of this house, this Gentile's house. And he's thinking, I have never crossed the threshold into a Gentile's house before. I've never done that. My my law forbid me to do so. He'd never broken that law, so he's wondering what he's going to do. I mean, here God's telling me I can eat food outside of the box of what I was told I could eat, and it seems like God is now inviting me into someone's home where I probably shouldn't go. And I think he's beginning to connect the dots. He's putting, you know, two and two together, and he's thinking that on the other side of that door are people who need to hear about Jesus and it seems like God is opening that door. And then it says, and if you can understand the significance of this in verse 25, it says, Peter entered the house. He walked through the door. This was, this was a first time experience for him. And he didn't just walk through the door. He started preaching the, the, about the, the saving work of Jesus, the forgiving heart of Christ. He, he told them about grace and redemption, all those things. And not only does the the message go over very well, but the Holy Spirit kind of falls on on that gathering. And and pretty soon it's very obvious that people are opening up their hearts to to Christ and getting saved, and the Holy Spirit's power is coming upon them. And then they ask Peter if if Peter could baptize them, and he does. And and Peter is baptizing all these non-Jews, all these ceremonially unclean Gentiles. And then Peter stands up and and he says, this is one of my favorite lines in the book of Acts, kind of very profound. Verse 34, 
I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men and women from every nation who fear him and do what is right. (laughs) Friends, we have no idea how great that rogue wave was that crashed into Peter's life that day. I mean, his own his own coming to Christ was pretty significant. <laughs> but, but at that day at Cornelius' house, when he entered and preached and saw the Holy Spirit come on those who were non-Jews and the, that the power of Christ was going to be for all peoples and, and all nations, that was like a second conversion experience for Peter. In some ways, more powerful than, or, or just as powerful, I should say, as his first conversion. And we find that, that not only does does Peter get accustomed to the idea that Christianity is for all people? He starts preaching that message. In fact, near the end of his life, tradition, church tradition has it that Peter went all the way to travel to Rome, to the center of, of sort of civilized pagan, the civilized pagan world. And that's where many people believe that Peter was martyred for his faith as he tried to preach the gospel to the Romans. It suggests to me that, that his second conversion he had that day with that Gentile guy lasted him from that point right to the very end. So cool. Brings us to us. I, I want to ask you the question this morning. How many of you have ever had a second conversion experience? I, I suspect you'd remember if you had. Uh, a second conversion, the way I'm defining it, is when God orchestrates people or events or experiences in such a way that teaches you a new truth or, or expands your vision or, or softens your heart to some need in the world, some great need, and you wind up with your mind blown and your heart kind of jacked all over the place. You're different on the inside, from the inside from that day forward. Your, your values change. You change direction. It, it, it changes your habits. Maybe it'd help if I gave you some, some illustrations from, from modern day, modern day second conversions that I know of that have happened to people. I'm going to show you a clip of Brian McConaughey. He was a, a forensics officer with the Burnaby RCMP, and, and when he went on a mission trip to Cambodia... Uh, many of you would know that, that war in the country under the Khmer Rouge in the 70s, uh, reports tell us that, that a third of the population were killed because of that war. Devastating. And, and I mean, they, they tended to kill anyone that was educated. And so basically in one foul swoop, they wiped out medical resources and, and, and kind of infrastructure right across the country in so many ways. Horrible, horrible thing. And he's there about 10 years after, and uh, this is, he describes what happened to him as a result of that visit. Let's watch this video clip. Brian first encountered Cambodia on the Thai border in 1989 during its civil war and went back the next year to learn more. So I got inside the country and basically for the first time wandered around and viewed just the suffering of these people in isolation. It was 10 years after the killing fields and it was like the killing fields had ended a week ago. It was like there'd been no progress in terms of the whole process. And so it was um, that kind of startling realization was what 
caused me to engage and, and think I want to do something to help but I had no idea what to do to help I didn't have the skills I didn't have the training in terms of relief and development and so based on the um, the isolation of the country I figured if I can smuggle a couple of suitcases of medicine through the embargo that was around the country that can help potentially hundreds thousands of people if it's the right medication and I, I named my efforts after a little girl Ratanak who had died on the up near the border in a place called Batambang because no medicine was available for her. Brian was excited to make a difference, but to his shock, instead of two suitcases, he soon had nine tons of donated medication from hospitals worth $100,000. He had to sell many of his possessions to pay the required international shipping costs to send the supplies to Cambodia. And I had no understanding of how to buy a container, ship a container, smuggle a container. I mean, the the learning curve was vertical. We ended up uh, shipping the container into Cambodia. I met it, um, negotiated its appropriate distribution with the uh, communist government at the time, and they stuck me on state-run TV here, under the communists, which is a very unusual thing for a member of the RCMP to have happened to him. And I came home with a video of that press conference, and, and friends and family and others saw the um, the video of the press conference said, you were absolutely crazy, but it worked. So here's some money, go do it again. What a great story, huh? Um, basically, God rocked Brian's world after his trip to Cambodia. And as he was there in the midst of all this horrible suffering, especially due to the lack of something we take for granted, medical care, um, he actually uh, is back, was back in Canada when he saw that documentary about that girl named Ratanak who died for lack of medicine. And even though he didn't know, like, like he said, he, had, he didn't have the education, he didn't have the background, didn't know really what to do, he decided, I got to do something. And he did. And he gathered his friends together and they, they, they formed this organization that uh, called Ratanak in honor of that girl who to this day do amazing, amazing work with, with those who've been uh, hit hard by the results of war uh, and also the, the out, of, out of war, the sex trafficking industry has been massive. Children, young children. And so they have a ministry to... to bring rehabilitation to, to children who've, who have been rescued from, from sex slavery. Unbelievable the kind of things that happen. But, and, and it all goes back to, it all comes back to uh, that second conversion he was going through uh, he, that happened to him as he stood there in, in the midst of that country or as he would say as he watched that documentary that featured that dying girl. His, his second conversion happened as a result to suffering in our world, to, as a result of, of being confronted by a great need. Sometimes second conversion experiences are born out of pain. Many of you would know or are familiar with the organization called MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. That's right. Yeah. Active all over North America, hundreds of chapters. This movement has done amazing things to reduce the, the number or the amount of, of drinking and driving. They've, they've helped to introduce all kinds of, of laws around this. But it all got its start but when a woman named Candy Leitner, who, whose 13-year-old daughter was killed by a drunk driver. She was, she was on her way home from school when she was struck and killed. 
And if you were, you were to read Candy Leitner's story, she in effect said that, that from that moment she learned of her daughter's death, it was like God absolutely rocked her world and she felt she needed to spend every day of the rest of her life doing all that she could to make sure other families wouldn't have to go through this. It was all from pain. It was all born of that. And, and I, I'll say this, lots of times God rocks the world of a person through pain. Your, your heart is, is so broken that it opens you up to a new work of God. Second encounters can also happen through, or second conversions can come out of special encounters with God. Uh, a dramatic visitation or, or profound experience of the Holy Spirit. I, I think of an elder friend of mine. Um, his name was Howard Mills. He was elderly when I knew him. Uh, he went, we went to the same church when I was a, a young adult, so when I was about 20. And one summer, uh, I bumped into Howard and realized he was the father of the pastor who led me to Jesus at camp a couple years before. And so Howard is father to Don, this guy who I really highly esteem. And so I actually ended up, he invited me to come every week and I would go and hang out with him in his living room. This, he was probably about like 85 at the time. A great, great guy. And I'll never forget him telling the story about how he was in our hometown of Stovall. He was driving along the road one day and, and he said, I was just singing a worship song, praise to Jesus. And he said, it's like the Holy Spirit came upon me. And he said, it was like a cloud enveloped my entire car. Like, can you imagine you're driving and it's a sunny day and suddenly he can't see out the windshield. He had to veer the car to the side of the road and he just sat there and experienced this, this seeming like, seemed like it went on forever, this encounter with the presence of God. And he says that experience forever, forever changed his appetites for God. He was no longer satisfied with a superficial encounter with the Almighty. That, that transformed his it rocked his world. So have you had any of these kind of experiences? Again, I'm not talking about a good worship time. I'm not talking about an answer to prayer. Those are good, but I, I, I'm just saying, when between the time you got right with God, between then and, and now, when has your world got rocked in such a way that, that it felt like a suck, second conversion? We have just a few minutes that remain, and I want to just spend that time making four observations, four words of wisdom about these second conversion experiences, because I want us to think about this. First and real important, don't expect a hundred of these in your lifetime. I mean, I think we want to get the scale of, of expectation right. I wonder if you've ever met a friend, or, and every time you meet them, they're telling you about the latest life-changing event that they've had in their lives, right? You know, they, they, they went to their small group on, on, on a normal night, changed my life. Listen to a, a worship song, changed my, my life, right? Uh, read a new book, changed my life. Their, their life has changed three times since Tuesday. And I don't think we kind of ought to run around saying our lives are transformed unless our lives are truly transformed. Um, and, and so I, I think we can say we've been you know, blessed by something. I think we can say our, our, it's been challenged our thinking, all those kind of things. But let's be careful with our language around this. For what it's worth, in, in my 33 years as a follower of Christ, I probably had around 10 or so, maybe about a, a dozen second conversion kind of experiences. Let me give you a couple examples. One of mine that I've told many of you before about is happened a couple years after my first conversion. It had to do with the Holy Spirit. 
I, I grew up in a, in a church where it, it just seemed like it, it was father-son, and we never got to the spirit part. <laughs> we, we didn't talk about the spirit, and, and maybe there was some fear around the Holy Spirit. I don't know. But during my first couple of years, I, I became a Christ follower at 17. And I, I, during those first couple of years, I never asked for it, but I kept bumping into people who would ask me questions about the Holy Spirit. Derwin, have you ever experienced the power of the Holy Spirit? And aside from me coming to faith, I, I really had not had any kind of experience like that. And time and time again, I'd, I'd get questioned about this. This is weird because I didn't even travel in those circles. But, but uh, I went to a Christian college in England, and I remember getting there, and the professor, the, the principal of the school, Billy Strachan, gets up there the first week, and he says, you know, over the next number of, of months, I'm going to give you 50 lectures on the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit is the forgotten member of the Trinity, and so we're going to spend 50 lectures learning about the Holy Spirit, and we did. And during the Christmas break, I remember going to Holland, and I was in a room by myself, and I was praying, and the Holy Spirit came on me in a profound, profound way. And uh, the result of that was, was not only the sense of being really loved by God, which was, was significant for me, um, I was no longer afraid. And I, I, I kind of, out of that experience, said, said to God, okay, my life is yours. Do with me what you will. That, that was the result of that experience with the Spirit. Another second conversion is, is one that I think many of us went on together as a congregation over the last 10 years or so. When, when God put his finger on extreme poverty in parts of the world, you know, where, where the poorest of the poor live. And God put his finger on that and, and, and began to give us a vision that we couldn't sit on the sidelines of that anymore, that we needed to do something, that we needed to get involved. And we, we began to dream and we began to give and we began to go and, and, and God actually, you know, rocked a couple villages. But, but it wasn't just those villages that got rocked. It was a lot of our hearts that got entirely jacked around because of that. And now I see that, that kind of propelling into a, another second conversion here as we have that, that, the kind of vision, if, if God can do that there, why can't he transform our community here? And we're beginning to, to pray and, and dream about how we as a congregation can meet the needs of the vulnerable in our neighborhood, in our community, and be difference makers here. So I've had, a, I've had and I'd say we have had a, a few world-rocking experiences, second conversions in our journey with Christ, I hope to have a few more in my life. I really do. Which leads me to the second observation. Don't hesitate to ask God to give you a second conversion experience. I challenged you last Sunday to be, be praying over the next couple of months every day that God would, would rock your world. I, God, I invite you to rock my world. And some of you could add just a, a little bit to that prayer. God, I need one of these experiences. I've never had one. Or God, it's, it's been too long since you did that. And my, I, I need that and, I've, I, and, and I'm available. One of my favorite verses in, in the Old Testament, first, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, where it says, for the eyes of the Lord are, are ranging. They're looking to and fro across the earth, looking for those who he can strengthen, whose hearts are fully his or fully committed to him. And so we go, God, you know, I'm, I'm available. You know, I'm fully yours. Give me the treatment. Here I am. Rock my world. 
Don't hesitate to ask God for it. And, 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 when, and if he sovereignly designs one for you, then, then, then all right. Third, this is an important one, is keep exposing your heart and mind to new kingdom information and new kingdom experiences. Uh, I love bumping into hillsiders who go to Missions Fest every year, held, held in downtown. Uh, Missions Fest is fantastic. Uh, and, and, and these hillsiders I bump into, they, they're often loving it because they're, they're listening to speakers that are talking about topics that we don't normally hear about. They're talking about things going on in the world. And then there's this great room uh, our family love going. My, I know teenagers love going in this great room because it's a ministry fair and you get, you get all the free chocolates and Werther candies and things that you get along the way. Um, and, uh, and you're getting exposed to all these organizations that are doing so many great things around the world. I know a hillsider who was there this January who told me that, that as they're walking down one of those aisles and, and, and basically looking for the candy that they can take from each of these organizations, the free pens, um, as they're walking down that aisle, they walk past a booth and it's like God whispered into this person's ear and said, go back to that booth. He went back, had a conversation at that booth that has led to this person making an entire different plan for their future. God rocked his world through giving him some new information and providing an opportunity. Um, I had a person come into my office this week and, and they, were, they were saying about how uh, God's been speaking into one area of their lives right now, and, and they said, you know, we, we just feel like th th God just won't let us off the hook on this particular one. Do you have any books on that? And uh, I was able to pass along a couple of books so that they can press into that thing that God's been saying. You know, probably for me, my, my most recent second conversion has been around God rocking my heart with regards to Aboriginal peoples. Last year, we were involved in, in sponsoring an event, the, the Rising Eagle Reconciliation Concert in uh, Town City Square, and, and I was happy to be involved in that. Uh, Pastor Nina, who was here at the time, was, was spearheading that, and, and we were kind of along Hillside help sponsor it, but I, I gotta confess, I was just kind of going through the motions. I, I, it's a good thing, but I didn't really, truth be told, care about it. And uh, it was... A couple months before the event, I was at an EMCC, our denominational uh, gathering in Red Deer, Alberta, and they had a speaker doing a seminar on this topic about truth and reconciliation. And as I sat, like, like I don't know if you, you, you've ever had this experience, but like that 90 minutes for me was like sacred time. I was like in this bubble. And every word, as a speaker unpacked the history of treatment of First Nations in Canada, and every word of how the church has often been on the sidelines or, or been negatively involved in some way, shape, or form. Every word was like an arrow to my heart. And I walked out of that room with a changed perspective and a softened heart. And I heard kind of God say, Derwin, you are not allowed to sit on the sidelines of that issue anymore. And I don't, even know, I don't even know where God, I, I'm still in the middle of it. I, I don't even know where God's taking me on this one. I, I, I'm just going, okay, Lord, I'm, 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 I'm with you on this. I, I, I now, by the way, anytime I meet a first, an aboriginal person or an indigenous person in our community, I, I'm, I'm like wanting to give them a hug 
And I mean, that's probably not the right response either. Um, but he's changed my heart entirely on that topic. And I know I, 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 know I, I can't be the same. And I won't be the same with regards to first people. Honestly, I, I think that the more you expose your heart and your mind and your body to great information and new experiences in various places, that's probably a good thing. And I think for some of us, we just kind of get in a rut, you know? Like, I mean, we, life is just life. We, we're just going. And, and we got to get out of our boxes. By, and and I, I suggest by, by reading books, by attending church regularly, by, by going to conferences, by getting involved in outreach, will likely maybe increase the likelihood of, that God will rock your world and give you a second conversion experience at some point. Last point. When you feel the world, hand, the world rocking hand of God on your life, if you feel like any motion has been started, cooperate fully. Say, God, I'm in. Give God permission for the full treatment to, to come your way. Again, God started rocking Peter's world. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. And he showed him this new thing, this, this doorway to walk through, and, and, and Peter did. And, and look what happened. I mean, these people got saved, and the church flourished, and, and the gen, it began to grow in the Gentile world, all because at little points along the way, Peter followed the instructions God gave him by saying, yes, yes, yes. And whatever, whatever you do, friends, when God starts moving in your life, just say, yes, God, what's next? I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Let's, would you bow your heads with me? Let's just pray, and we're going to close in a song. God, as we, we have been reflecting these last couple of weeks, we believe you're still in the world rocking business and you still want to rock lives and uh, bring about the transformation of your world, the world you love so much. Thank you, Lord, that you, um, you did that with Peter and you did that with Saul. And we have a hunch that you might just want to do that with us. Would you bring it on, God? Would you, we're, we're here, we're available, and we want to go where you want us to go. We want to see the world as you see it. We want you to break your heart with the things that break yours. You called us, Lord, to not just cruise through life, but to actually, in cooperation and partnership with you, uh, be game changers in our world. Help us to be a little bit more like Brian McConaughey or Candy Ligner or Howard Mills that when you move, we go, we're in and we'll go. Give us courage to respond and to trust you in this, we pray. In, in your name we pray. Amen.